Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head. If you dream of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life and business. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life that they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at getadoseofhope.com. Get a dose of hope.com. Today's guest is Matthew Netchin. Matthew's the author of a historical fiction novel, The Road Will Someday Bend. The book was inspired by his grandfather's immigrant journey from Italy to America before later being drafted by the United States Army to join the battle against his former homeland during World War II. A litigator by trade, Matt has a penchant for social media and community building. His daily musings about the Yukon Huskies, the New York Mets, Greater Hartford, and the Adirondacks can be found on Twitter. Matt lives in Glastonbury, Connecticut with his wife, Jen, his daughters, Abby and Riley, and his golden retrievers, Finn and Ollie. Matthew Necci and Robert discuss the power of putting others first, which is multiplied through mentorship and mentoring. It is important to live an intentional life and keep the things that matter most to you a priority. Leadership in life and business is really about doing the right things and helping others do the right thing. Well, Matt, thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I'm just excited to uh, share this conversation and, and learn some more about you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So typically I let everybody share their own entrepreneurial journey. And I know, you know, as a lawyer, you're working you know, with a firm and you're working with others, but it's still very entrepreneurial. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, lawyers, it's interesting. Lawyers are, especially in private practice, are kind of asked to be a jack of all trades. They want you to be a good lawyer. They want you to be a good mentor of young lawyers. And then, um, you know, as you progress in your career, you're a business owner um, if you're fortunate. And, uh, you know, for a long time, I was fortunate to work in big law and become an owner at one of those firms. And uh, it is a grind, right? Early on in your career, it's easy to be gung-ho and kind of come out blasting, ready to, to knock the world on its backside. Um, but as you move on in your career, other things happen. And so, you know, it's important to find those ways to keep yourself going and finding out what motivates you as you go along, for sure. So let, let's dig into that that grind a little bit. Obviously, that you, you mentioned the grind sounds a little negative. And so <laughs> let's dig into let's dig into the challenges of that. Yeah. And I think, listen, um, it's not unique to any profession, particularly if you're a business owner, right? Like, you have to work and to really make an imprint on where you want to go, you have to spend a lot of your, particularly early, early in your career, outworking people or billing, being willing to work in certain ways, um, you know, give up a lot of private time to do that. But it's also incredibly rewarding, right? There's things I've been able to do for my family as life has gone on that I would not have been able to do if I didn't work hard and really build that base and become a business owner. Um, I have found as I progressed in life, you have to find that balance where you are growing yourself professionally. But, um, you know, one of the things my wife and I talk about all the time is 
we work really hard and we, we go out of our way to try to, you know, whether it's being philanthropic or working nonprofits or helping people on the outside, you can't at the end of the day, no matter how successful you are professionally, forget that you have obligations at home, right? We have young kids and you have to make sure you're keeping that happy balance of continuing to challenge yourself professionally um, while also knowing that you've got responsibilities to other people at home. So, you know, I like the grind, uh, frankly. I think it's my personality. I, I thrive when I have a lot of things kind of up in the air. It's just the way my brain works. Um, frankly, if there isn't a lot going on, I find myself a little bored. So it's um, I, I view it very much as a positive. Nice. So you mentioned, uh, obviously, your family, your obligation to your family, but you mentioned you know, the philanthropic efforts. How, how has contribution played a role in your growth and in... in um, your your business right what's what's the connection between being able to be philanthropic and, and being a business owner well i was very fortunate i mean my, my parents um, were first generation americans that really um, were incredibly hard workers and successful uh, at what they did uh, as they moved on in their professional careers but it was instilled in me my brother and my sister that um, you know you have an obligation to give back and help who you can how you can and when you can so I'm probably more fortunate that, uh, than others in that that was, you know, part of my DNA coming up. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, I find, uh, you know, whether it's with clients or in my community or frankly at home, I excel when I'm in service to others. And so I do just at the bones of it, love being in the community. I'm, I'm currently the vice chair. I'll be the chair of Special Olympics Connecticut uh, beginning in January. Special Olympics is an organization I've been involved with since I was three years old. Wow. Um, and so it's kind of surreal to be, you know, four decades later, um, becoming the chair of that organization. Um, not everyone, particularly if you're if you're in an organization in a business that you share with everybody, with you know, dozens of people, not everyone looks at the world that way, right? And so there does sometimes have to be a what is the benefit to the business for us to be out there in the community, whether it's having our staff volunteer, whether it's putting dollars on the table, um, which I'm an advocate for. Um, I think at the most basic business level, there is a benefit to having your name out there and being seen as part of uh, an integral part of the community, right? Um, when you're a business owner, I think there's always a challenge of how do I distinguish myself from others? I think it's very easy to say to me, being authentic and, uh, you know, being vulnerable, quite frankly, and showing people who you really are, you're more likely to do well in business, particularly with your customers, if they feel like they really know you. And for me, I've found being out in the community, uh, being known as someone who's not just going to throw dollars at something, because I think that's great. But I think you need to show up and be behind the mission that you're trying to support financially. That stands out to people and they want to be around you and they want to do business with you. So, um, I'm, you know, I certainly don't work in the nonprofit forum for that reason, but it's, you know, when you're discussing why people that you share businesses with, why they should share the passion that you have, those are the types of things that I talk to them about and say, listen, there is a true business value for us to do this. Oh, I like that. Well, and I like that you've taken it to a, a piece of your authenticity and, and vulnerability, right? That choosing which nonprofits are important to you is a reflection of, of who you are on the inside. And, and so authenticity and, and vulnerability are challenging in these days, especially this, this tech space now, right? Where 
I can hide behind a computer screen and I can, I can pretend to be anybody I want to be. Right. Yeah. I can pretend to have these characteristics um, because I have the protection of this, of this, this wire that goes between us. And I think it's challenging for business or it's tempting for business owners to pretend to be something they're not. I think that's true. I also think the way you qualified, it's tempting. Um, people can tell if you're not being yourself. I, I really do feel that, you know, and maybe that's just because of the profession I'm in. I think lawyers, um, particularly litigators, can tend to read people really well. Um, but I also think it's tempting, you know, even the business I'm in, in, in any personal services business, I think there's a temptation because technology has made it so easy to communicate quickly, whether it's through text messaging or email where you lose some of, I've been practicing, uh, I'm going into my 17th year of, of being a, a, you know, a private litigator and the amount of face-to-face -face time. And, I'm, and I don't want to use COVID as an, as an excuse. I think people have been using COVID as an excuse at this point, right? It was just easier to transition to being remote and not getting together. I think people just wanted to be together. Um, you know, when I started off in the early 2000s, it was still a, we did business by hanging out together um, and getting to know one another. And as email became more prominent and, you know, businesses focused more on things like social media and their websites, a little bit of that went away. And first you went from not seeing people in person to doing more phone calls, and then more phone calls just turned into two second emails. Right. So I think sometimes we can use the technology as a crutch um, and you have to get out there and show people who you are. I mean, right. The reason you and, and myself do things like this is so that people can see who we really are. We, we, we don't need them to just read an article or read a tweet that we're putting out on Twitter or something on Instagram, right? So this this is a, a different forum using today's technology to let people truly know who you are. So, you know, I, I think it's fantastic. Absolutely. Well, and let's, I mean, let's dig a little deeper into that character issue. Litigators can, litigators can tell, right? I mean, obviously you've learned because that's right. an important skill. Um, but, but character in business overall as a, as a reflection of, of who a person is. So I think character development is, is an important piece of that, that business journey. What, what has helped you in, in developing your character? Again, having a great background with my family has been invaluable. Having an incredibly supportive spouse, um, invaluable. Um, it's funny. I had a conversation. I, I got a phone call from an attorney today, um, who had been connected by someone I've had many cases with. Um, she's very early in her career trying to decide what she wants to do. And she asked me, you know, I don't feel like I have mentors. And did you have mentors through the way? Do you have people that helped you? And I said, of course, we all do. Um, I, But it, it really had me kind of take a step back and say, there are people I've worked with who I, I the relationships we've built, whether we work together now or, or, or we don't anymore, have been invaluable but it's taken work for me, me to make sure those relationships continue. Um, but I've also, again, worked at a business where, again, five or six years ago, maybe before I'm a big experiential learning person. So I want, you know, you have to try things to see if they work. You know, early in my career, when I was a, a young owner at, at a big law firm, um, you know, trying to create a mentorship program there where we were trying to figure out ways to retain young talent. And so, you know, I thought, mentorship would be a great way to do that. What I found was mentorship can't be forced, right? So we tried some things where we matched up people that didn't have any natural connections. The relationships that have worked for me have been the ones that have been 
you know, grassroots developed over time. It's like marketing a client. It's not something that, I mean, sometimes you hit off with a person right away, right? But usually those types of relationships, or at least the ones that last, take years to develop. And it's sitting down and not sending some text, but like sitting in their office and having an hour and a half long conversation and realizing that, you know, maybe I'm not, um, there's work I can be doing right now, but this is a professional development from me. I'm learning from someone else or I'm giving so, a colleague feedback. So for me, it's been, again, the background um, where it was important for my family, where they were just in very basic values. Um having people that I uh, shared similar values with in the workspace and then trying to live up to that and be accountable again at home. I want my kids to have the same values that my wife and I have developed, right? So we have, as you walk up the door of our house, we have a framed, um, you know, quote that says work hard and be good to people, right? Because I think we see, we, I think people that work hard, sometimes there's a perception, sometimes real, sometimes otherwise that working hard means you have to be, uh, and we used the word grind earlier. You have to be a bully or it has to be the only thing that you do. I'm a proponent that you can be a really hard worker, but you can be a really good person because at some point that builds a relationship that's going to help the work down the road. And, yeah. um, you know, we'll see if that's working. I've got a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, right? So there's moments where you question yourself. Um, <laughs> but I think the foundation's being built for sure. You're going to have more questions soon. <laughs> yeah. But so... Obviously, you mentioned connection and, and the, the power of connections. So let's talk about the power of connection in, in obviously personal development, but in, in building your business and building an audience yep. of people who use your services. Well, you know, I think um, the big thing for me where that it starts is, is accountability. So you know, as people talk about various forms of leadership, my style of leadership was to try to find someone that I hired that was that could be talented and that I didn't have to babysit. Right. So I wanted to know that they knew I trusted them and I let them do their job. Um, and I tried to be the same type of employee when I was in the employee role. You're not going to have to worry about whether or not I'm living up to my obligations. And so if I tell you something's going to get done, it gets done. Um and it's not, um, I'm going to call you at the last minute at a deadline and say, oh, can I have a few more days? Um, if I think it's going to take more time than what someone tells me for deadline, we have that conversation when we have the initial discussion about the work I'm doing. So I have found that, um, and it's a blessing and a curse. If you're accountable and you get things done, you tend to get a lot more work, um, both from the people you work with and from your clients. Um, and there's an expectation. I, I like people knowing that they can count on me. And that counts at work, um, that counts at home, and that counts with my friends. Um, I don't want to be known as a flake, right? That's I think that's like one of the worst things I think you could be called as a person is flaky. Um, and it's only because I have expectations for myself that I know that if I have a goal, I'm going to reach it. Um, but I also want people to feel like they can rely on me. I love the whole concept of being part of a team. Um, that's one of the things I've str I struggled with early on in my career when we were talking about, you know, developing your own business. Um, there is a team component to that, but a lot of it is you getting out there and putting yourself out there and working. And that's fun. But I also very much enjoy doing that as a team process and, and, and everyone has their role to play. And as long as we don't have to babysit each other, let's get the right team together and then let's work together to be accountable. So accountability has been 
the focus of everything I've done professionally. Nice. Well, it sounds like obviously you're, you're a go-getter and a doer and people, people start to know that and, and integrity is important to you. So let, yes. let's, let's dig into integrity and, and the word no. Well, um, I think being accountable, um, being able to say no, um, is a, that was a hard thing to learn. Um, I did it again, early in, on in my career, I wanted to say yes to everything work-wise and in the, um, non-work, but professional setting in the nonprofit world, because I, I intellectually curious and right. And I want, I want to be part of the conversation. Um, I've also seen people get burnt out by doing that too. And so it was important to me. I think part of accountability, we, you know, we say we're goal oriented. Sometimes being goal oriented is also setting yourself up so that you're not setting it up for failure. You don't want to do something where it's so overwhelming that it's not achievable. Um, the, the most aggressive attorney, hardest working attorney of all time at some point needed someone's help. And you have to be able to say, I need your help or I can't do this right now, but here's when I can do it. And, you know, I've found if you say no all the time, that's a problem. If you're known as someone who's accountable and you say, I really can't do something now. No, they, you know, your integrity is built up the credibility where you can do that. And and it's not going to mean you're not going to get the question again down the road on a different project or on a different issue, but they take you seriously. Um, Something that, again, I can't, it's a common thread whenever I talk to people about, you know, issues like integrity and professionalism, you know, my background, I had, um, you know, again, parents that were very good at what they did. My father was an executive of a large utility company here in Connecticut. And, you know, one of the best things I saw at his retirement party was the number of linemen and kind of stage one level employees that came to his retirement party because they had such respect for him because his mantra was, I don't care if you're the CEO of the company, um, someone that works in the cafeteria, an intern, everyone is to be treated with the same level of respect. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm sure you know, when you're in the professional world, it's pretty amazing um, how much that does not happen. Mm -hmm. And And it always boggled my mind, right? Because irrespective of where you are on the on the food chain in a company, the reality is you're all adults there, right? So why aren't we all treating each other with adults? And I think sometimes it's shocking in the corporate world how little that happens. And so I do think I found if you live your life that way, people don't forget how they're treated. Even if they move on to other jobs or other careers, they never forget how they were treated um, for good and for bad, quite frankly, right? Absolutely. So, um, yeah. I think, you know, even if you don't work at the same organization, maybe your paths are going to cross again down the road. And that's the other thing. It's shocking how, how many people are short-sighted and try to ruin relationships when you're going to run into each other again. Um, so I, I've always tried to live my life in the way that, again, you treat people that you want to be tra- the way you want to be treated. And although you should respect certain levels of a profession, it doesn't mean you treat as a person someone differently just because they have not you know, practice as long or they haven't achieved certain things in their career. Yeah. Learned early on that, that the janitor is the most important person in an organization because if your bathrooms are dirty, that customer's not coming back, whether that's a restaurant, a church, or, and I assume even a law firm. Right. And, and yes. it's interesting and, and, to me that 
I was just going to say in the law firm, I say all the time, my paralegal is more important to me than any attorney I, I can work with. If I have some, because they know everybody at the firm, they know everybody outside of the firm. And I, I, I can't practice without them. I'll take a very good paralegal over a couple of good attorneys any day of the week, any day of the week. Well, and, and, and the reality is, you know, if, if you don't want to clean the bathrooms, you need to be respectful of the person that does. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, that idea of, of treating somebody with less value than, you know, than, than you want to be treated is, is, is astonishing to me as well. And, and, I, and yet you, you hear stories and you, and you see it happen in, in organizations and, and it's incredible to me that, you know, that we would, you demean people or devalue people for just because of it. They, they do a different job than you do. Doesn't mean that it's less important than, than the job that you're doing. No. And I think I try to have um, really good perspective. So I'll do my shameless plug. It's somewhere over one of my shoulders here. Um, you know, during COVID, I wrote a book um, that's a historical fiction book that was very loosely based on my grandfather's life. Um, he was an Italian immigrant whose family sent him um, to the States in his early teens he didn't want to come. He loved, you know, he lived in a small village uh, south of Rome uh, due to a combination of economic reasons. And because of what was happening in Europe with Mussolini and Italy, everything going on, his family sent him to the States again against his will. A couple of years after settling in, in the States, he got drafted by the U.S. Army and had to go back to Europe and fight against the Axis powers, including his home country. Right. Wow. So that always um, and again, my book is very loosely based on that story, but my entire uh, life, um, you know, my grandfather's passed on, but he never talked about that. But the whole concept always was just stunning to me. And so, you know, the idea of if my family moved when I was 13, the idea of coming back and having to fight against the United States, is, I, I just don't know how you do that. Right. And so I try to keep perspective that no matter how overwhelmed I am, or no matter what situation I'm in, prefer, uh, personally and professionally, you know, two generations ago, 18-year-olds were going to Europe and trying to keep the world free, right? So nothing is that big of a deal. But I also saw the things that my, you know, grandfather was sacrificing for other people. So if you can have that level of humility and, frankly, um, altruism, I guess, right? Because you're helping others that you don't even know. I can't be a professional person at work and, you know, and treat people with respect. So I, I really do try to keep that in perspective. And sometimes I get over my skis, right? When we all, when we, when we all have a, a good run and things are going great at, you know, at work, uh, all your friends love you, right? You get a little over your skis and sometimes you need to get punched in the chin to, to settle yourself back in. Um, but I, gravity, I think gravity I, has a way of taking care of that. <laughs> absolutely. So I, I think I, I try to use that kind of background um, to keep myself grounded for sure. Well, and, and it is important, right? And I think you mentioned a, a few times gratitude, right? Being grateful for the sacrifice that your, your grandfather made and, and, and being grateful for, you know, the opportunities of your parents that have paved the way. And I think gratitude is a, is a real powerful grounding tool to to keep us you know, on top of our skis <laughs> yeah. and so you know it and and i think a lot of people take a lot of those things for granted yes right especially when they're they're zipping up the zipping up the company ladder and and they start 
feeling like it really is a ladder, right? And then they start to yep. look look down on people, and and it's it obviously it's a slippery slope. Well, you know what I try to tell people is, and I, I had this again talking to this young attorney today. Who knows how long you're here? You should want to do the best type of work, irrespective of your profession that you can, because I think you should hold yourself to a high standard and want to challenge yourself. However, a year after you've left whatever your career is, nobody's going to remember the work you did. Maybe, maybe they will if you're that exception to the rule. But, you know, I, I hope to live a long life where I'm sitting on a beach somewhere when I'm in my 80s. Nobody's going to think of me as an attorney. I hope they don't. Um, and, and I don't think that speaks poorly about what I want to do in my career. I want them to remember me, how I treated them and what we, the things we did together. Um, if I'm only known for how many you know cases I've settled or how many times I won a trial, to me, that's um, – and some people value those things and God bless them. To me, it's too surface level and there's just so much more I want to do with life than focus on exclusively that. Yeah, John Maxwell always shares the story of about, you know, you think you're important at your job and the the, the challenge is that, you know, as soon as as soon as your funeral's over, they're fighting over the potato salad and nobody's yep. even talking about you. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big Yukon um, alum and supporter <laughs> and football fan and uh he's no longer a uh, coach of the team but um Bob Diaco who coached the football team for a while, not to a successful run. But he always quoted this poem called The Indispensable Man. And it basically ended with there is no indispensable man, right? You put your hand in a bucket of water. As soon as you take it out, the water fills that gap. And so um, I, try, I try to look at things the same way. I think I'm really good at what I do. I'm not so naive to think that I'm not replaceable. Everybody at a professional level is replaceable. And so that doesn't mean you shouldn't do your best work. But I do think it means you should help keep the people that you're working around uh, you know, whether it's perspective or just knowing what's important in life, do good work, but be deeper than what your work is. Mm, absolutely. So we mentioned gratitude is, so are there some daily routines that, that help you stay grounded, help you stay, you know, growth focused? Um, I have to run. It's, uh, I love running uh, and it could be for an hour. It could be for a half hour. Um, from the time I was a little kid, I think my at my best, I can work out problems when I'm aimlessly exercising and just thinking about stuff and talking to myself in my head. So um, even if I'm not running, I try to take the dogs for an hour walk, doing something that lets me kind of internally spit some stuff out because I may be having a perspective on something and then you work it a thousand times in your head. By the thousandth time, you've either said, yeah, I've been consistent here. Or you said, what the hell was I thinking when I had that initial reaction, right? So so exercising is incredibly important to me. Um, dinner at home every day. It's, it's harder to do now um, because between work, it's not even my schedule anymore. It's my freaking kids' schedules are so much more um, exhausting than ours. But uh, my wife and I want to be having dinner with our kids every night. Um, you know, family's important, making sure you're making those phone calls to my parents, right? Because that's not always going to be available. So keeping that in perspective. And uh, again, I'm pretty obnoxious with Yukon related things. So knowing <laughs> when I have to take a step away from something, um, I kind of obnoxiously dive into Twitter and the Yukon Twitter world, which uh, can be a rabbit hole sometimes, but um, it's also pretty entertaining. It's, it's my, you know, my, uh, 
20 years ago, people read tabloids. It's my tabloids. It's where I, where I get, can kind of just veg out a little bit. Nice. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noel L. Peterson, available on Amazon. Or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. So I like you mentioned that dinner at home as a, as a boundary. Um, so let's talk about the power of, of boundaries to protect those things. Those You mentioned values earlier and, and really to, 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 to truly protect the things that we value, we have to put boundaries around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the reality is this, um, and I may have said this a little earlier, very early on, I, I wanted to say yes to everything because one, I wanted to be known as someone who got stuff done, but I also wanted to be involved. Um, but I also saw, and, and I had my, thank God for my wife. I mean, she's kind of been like the, the center of gravity that brings me back when I'm again, getting over my skis. Um, you could be known as being out there helping the greatest, most deserving nonprofits in the world. If you're spending all of your time doing that and it's really valuable work, but life at home isn't making sense because you're not spending time with your kids. You're not going to their soccer games. My kids are huge into soccer. We're traveling all the time. That's a problem, right? Like they've earned the right. They didn't ask to be here. They've earned the right for you to be part of their lives. And one, I don't think it sends no matter how well-intentioned you are, um, it does not send a good message to your kids if you're only doing things to enhance your professional life without taking advantage of the time that they're, that they're at home. Hello. And so um, as my kids have gotten busier and grown older, that's kind of been a guiding principle where I tell people um, in my job, I'm on call 24-7, 365, even when I'm on vacation. If there's an emergency and I get a call, I have to deal with it which sometimes means at three o'clock, if my kids have an event, I'm leaving. I don't care if you're not happy with me. My work's going to get done. I've proven to you that's going to happen. But this is, I'm not going to have this opportunity forever, right? So that that's important. Um, I think, again, the other guardrail for me has just been, my wife's my absolute partner in everything I do. No matter how passionate I am about something or how much I want to um, do something professionally or socially or just, you know, because I don't do that without having a conversation with her about it. Because, again, she gives up enough of my time where she's entitled to be part of that conversation. And um, sometimes that means not doing things that, you know, your buddies are out doing and they look at me like I'm crazy, but I don't care. You know, like she's who I'm going to be with in 30 years when they're all not with me and living in different parts of the country. So, you know, that's always been really important. And we tell our kids, and this was a line I got from my parents too. We love our kids more than anything in the world, except each other. And Mm -hmm. that's always been a guiding principle is that, you know, don't try to play us off one another. Don't try to get us to battle with each other. We, that's the most important relationship in our lives, no matter what. And everything else comes after that. And for me, um, that was how my parents live. And I think it's helped my marriage, quite frankly, that we make each other a priority. But it also has helped keep 
work, kids, and other things in perspective for sure. Well, absolutely. I think, you know, my wife and I have always been committed to it's her and I against the world. And mm-hmm. that includes our kids. It's her and I against the kids because <laughs> the kids is a temporary assignment. We totally we, we just had to get through that. And 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 they had a message like, you know, what, your time's coming. <laughs> There's the door. And don't let it don't let it hit you on the way out. Because and and. You know, some people, I don't know. Our goal was to always be our kids for our kids to be our friends when they were adults, not when they were kids. I, I, that's the best thing. Uh, I love that you said that because this is what was going through my head. My my relationship with my parents evolved, right? So when I was a kid, very young, it was we are your parent, not your friend. Don't ever forget that. Right. And then as I was, you know, getting older and becoming a teenager, and then going through college, uh, and even early in my career, they became mentors, right? They I had questions, they could provide answers. Now I'm 41 years old. My mom's 68. My dad's 70. They are like really good friends. And that's, if if I can emulate that, that will be very important to me. But I love how you put it because that's very much the guidance I had coming up. Yeah. And I've, I was blessed that way too. It was, it was interesting because when I, when I got out of the Marines and I took over a scout troop and my dad wanted to be the assistant scout master and wanted me to be the scout master. And everybody's like, Oh, how can, you know, how can your dad be an assistant, you know, instead of the leader? And I was like, because he recognizes that I'm the leader and he wants to empower me to be the leader and, and he wants to support me in that. And, and, and he and I have been, been friends and I've been, I've been mentoring him in the last 20 years and, and, and the challenges like he's faced with my mom, you know, he's, he's allowed my sister and I to come alongside him and support him and, and, and lead him you know, and so he calls us for advice. And so it's been an interesting transition. Like you said, that, that friendship um, opportunity is, is so powerful. And, and I'm blessed to at this plate in my life that both my kids have, have moved out and they're, they're adults. And, and my wife and I joke that they call and ask for advice more now than they did when they were living here. It's like, stop calling literally like <laughs> no more we're done we don't want to talk to you anymore <laughs> go yeah, away for to, at least a week <laughs> you got to figure it out on your own and there is a component of that right and i think i don't think that should, you know bringing it back to businesses and entrepreneurs i don't think that should just be your family life i think people that are um, business owners or corporate leaders need to look at their jobs as leaders the same way there should be an evolving relationship right and so you should be uh, if you stand out earlier in your career and you're given, you know, whether it's a committee assignment or a group assignment, support those people. Don't put them down. Encourage them to come up, but also know when it's time to kind of take a step aside and promote the next generation of leaders. I don't think enough people at the most senior level do that. And I get it. Right. When you when you've been doing a job for five years, 10 years, 20 years, you feel like you've earned it and you have. But for the place to continue on after the fact, particularly if you own a business, if there's not another generation of leadership coming up behind you, I feel it's your obligation as those senior people to, to take a step aside and then again, evolve from that boss to mentor and then to again, champion, right? You're championing the next generation of people coming up. Um, and I think some businesses, the really successful ones get that. Um, well, other businesses, a, I think it's harder. example. Yeah, it's yeah, it's incredible, so but, but but we do it at home. Why? And that's you know for me, that's where my most successful relationships are. 
if you can take that into the workplace to some extent, I think it's only going to benefit your business. Oh, absolutely. Well, and and you can see where the most selfish leaders, the business dies when the CEO dies, right? Right. And 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 moves on, or they fire the CEO because because not enough is happening. But even for entrepreneurs that are that are solopreneurs, the idea of working yourself out of a job, the idea of 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 replacing yourself, right? Creating a business that can run without you, that that that's absolutely what leads to scaling, what leads to success. And 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 no, it doesn't happen overnight, but if you create that model from the beginning, right? You you assign yourself as the CEO and then you want to shift yourself to the shareholder role, right? Where you've actually put a CEO in place and and now you're a shareholder sitting on the beach because you don't have to worry about day-to-day operations. Uh, yep. That's that's an excellent analogy of of how every business should be thinking about passing it on, right? Training up leaders, developing developing your staff, developing the systems and processes to allow more staff to come in and be involved. But even that that mentorship, right? Where you're you're directly mentoring or coaching to shifting to friend and supporting shifting to you know hands off shareholder that says you you do it I'll vote I'll vote you in or out at the end of the year right yeah and it's it's not an easy transition transition to make and I and I don't mean to speak of it like it is I think it's it's an evolving one and I I just think my experience has been the best leaders even if the the transition isn't smooth. They can at least identify it so you can talk about it, right? And I don't think enough people like to see themselves being vulnerable or they're not sure what they want to do when they're done with work. Um, well, that idea that it's weak, right? That, that idea right. that it's weak to be training somebody else to replace you or, or that you're going to get replaced too soon is too – it's too corporate-minded versus, versus you know, long-term. And I think fewer and fewer companies are thinking about the infinite game versus, you know – what what's in it for them right now? I, I think, and that's probably again a, a better way to put it. I think when you're a business owner, we all want to make money. Um, we all have taxes we have to pay. We all have families to feed. If you're solely living quarter to quarter to pay your taxes and and only focus on the short term gain uh, and don't invest into some of the things that are required for the long term benefit of your own growth and your companies, I, that's where I see people get in trouble. Absolutely. Well, and 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 we have the the market to thank thank for that, right? The, right. You know, the, the CEOs and the bonuses are being driven by by financial performance. You know, literally week to week, and 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 so they 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 took away long term thinking for, no, for corporations. In law firms, it's incredibly prevalent. And again, I was talking to a, the, this young attorney, and um, we were talking about what private practice and big law is. And again. There is a benefit. People want to get the biggest raise and the biggest bonus every year. And I get it, right? I, I've come out of law school with loans and had a young family. And so you wanted to do certain things. You want to, if you're going to work so hard, you want to be able to go on vacations. But then as a, a lawyer, you know, you end up, if you're if you're on the right track, right track, becoming an owner eight to 10 years in. And so you have these attorneys who are crushing it numbers wise so that they can get the highest bonuses. But they're not putting they're putting 100 percent of their time into billing and they're not putting any of their time into marketing and developing those relationships it takes to develop their own business. And then all of a sudden they're eight or 10 years in, they've hit a ceiling with what they can collect financially because the business says, well, your overhead's too high and you're not bringing your own clients to the table. (laughs) Right. And so I I see that in the legal world all the time. And um, 
you know, marketing again is not easy. And it's, it's hard to tell someone again, who's in their mid twenties or early thirties, you got to take a little less money now because it's going to pay off in the long run. It's hard for someone that's got bills to, to, to really appreciate that. But again, the ones that get it realize, well, the long-term game when I'm in my late thirties, early forties, based on me having developed this business, it makes the early stuff that I missed out on well worth it. Well, and that's a combination of building those relationships and building that reputation. Totally. Right. All of those pieces. And then of course, you know, serving in the community can be a piece of that. There's so many pieces that we've talked about that lead towards creating a reputation, creating a, a, a list of people who know what you're doing, right? Networking that, that you've done to, to create connections that are going to lead to the value, right? So you don't get dollars up front, but you're creating value and putting yourself in the community that, that adds up, you know, for that eight or 10 year mark where you're a more valuable asset because of all these pieces that you've put into place. Yeah. I mean, in 17 years of practice from a marketing client, um, new client perspective, where you've hit a home run just out of a shot of a dark because you were in the right place at the right time. That is the exception to the rule. Um, I do think businesses sometimes think, well, I've spent X amount on marketing. It did not return that amount in revenue. So I'm not going to do that again. Where, you know, right, being out there in marketing is about repetition, relationship development, showing that you're not a flash in the pan, but you're there for years. Um, and again, I keep using the word, it goes back to perspective. Is that, an, is, is a marketing or spending time out there, is that an expense for you or is that an investment for you? And you have to be willing to say not everything's going to work. But it shouldn't just because it didn't work this one instance keep you from trying it again. And I, I think that's probably something I see, too, where I think businesses give up on that a little too easily, where they didn't get the immediate gratification of I put a commercial out there. I didn't get 100 calls the next day. It takes time. And so um, do you want immediate short term growth and no long term growth? Or are you willing to take a little bit time investing so that you're building a sustainable foundation where business continuously comes in. Hmm, nice. All right. So now I know you're, you're a fiction author, but what, yeah. what has been the impact for you of, of being an author writing your first book? Um, I mean, a few different levels. Uh, personally, obviously it was something I always wanted to do. I'm actually starting the process of going on to my second book because I, I was uh, uh, at UConn, I was a history and a journalism major. So I loved researching and I loved writing. And frankly, that has helped, obviously, in my legal career um, from writing a trial brief or an appellate brief. So from a um, personal perspective, it was like running a marathon. Sometimes people think they can get overwhelmed by the idea of running a marathon that they don't want to start the initial training. For me, I've run one marathon. I'm not sure I ever want to do it again. Um, but a book writing process was the same thing. I knew if I got started, I'd finish it. And I had the base of this story. Um, it was also personally... Um, helpful for me because again, I, I decided to write this when I was 39 in the middle of COVID with a goal of publishing it by the time I turned 40. Um, and it was, it was my thing. I couldn't control what was happening in the world. Um, but this was something that I could control, right? I didn't have an excuse not to write. If I wasn't writing, it was because I was making a, a conscious decision not to do so. And so again, with the support of my spouse and she said, go for it, I did that. And so it was incredibly rewarding and helpful, frankly, to me um, during COVID to have that outlet, um, especially when you were spending so much time at home. 
from a professional perspective, frankly, you know, again, when you go out to these conferences where you're an attorney or you're marketing to people, you're everyone wants, you know, there's usually a 200 attorneys swarming one person to get the same business. And I don't want to be, I'm not known as the cold cut cold call guy. That's not who I am. Either we've gotten to know each other over years or there's something that I can use to stand out. But when I post on LinkedIn, I have this book and it's selling really well on Amazon and all these places, all of a sudden, and I've sent frankly copies to clients and potential clients so they could read it hopefully and enjoy it. Um, but also so they know who I am a little bit more of who I am. Now all of a sudden it's, oh, let's talk. I read your book and we can have this conversation, right? And it, so from a business perspective, there's help there where it helps distinguish me from the other 200 attorneys that I'm competing with for business. So um, that's not why I wrote the book, certainly. But once it was out there in the world, I was certainly going to use that to my advantage. Um, and it's, it's, again, the amount of comments I'll get on LinkedIn or phone calls I get from people is, oh, I loved your book. Let's talk about it. And it's not any different. You know, I used to have these conversations with people. We talk about their dogs or their kids, and that would lead to business. <laughs> we still do that. But now we're talking about other things. Uh, and again, I think it shows um, a different side of me. It shows that I'm a serious person, right? <laughs> because I this is something that doesn't just happen overnight. It took real thought and uh, dedication. And I think people can see, again, going back to authenticity, they can see a little bit more who I am as a person. All right. I, I like you shared that line in there. Just it was something I could control. So let's talk about, I mean, one of the big things of being responsible and and I think one of the biggest levels of personal development is, you know, a taking responsibility, but then knowing the things you can control. And, and of course, knowing the things you can't and being willing to, to let go of those is, is yeah, very I mean, powerful in, in it, emotional it, stability. It is. And you know, my buddy, Carl Fix, who introduced us, great guy. Carl loves quoting, um, you know, usually 70s rock and roll artists, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll go in a little different direction. So I'm a big, um, you know, I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. So I'm a big Pearl Jam fan. And, um, you know, they have a song Eddie Vedder has, you know, I know I was born and I know that I'll die, but the in-between is mine, right? So I've always loved that phrase because it's, we all know we got here. We all know someday we're not going to be around, but I'm not going to let someone else dictate what happens between those two points. And so um, I've always thrived on goals. Um, I've, I've thrived more on goals that people have expressed. They doubted I could complete something. That was something <laughs> that I love just ticking people off to do with something for the sake of doing it. Um, so I love that level of control. Um, I do think, I do think people in general waste a lot of energy focused on things that are completely out of their control. Oof. I'm guilty of it as well. Um, my, my general sense of how I litigate and how I do client relations is get out what you have to get out. I'm here as a sounding board. Now that you've said what you've had to say, here are your options. Here's my recommendation because this is what we can control but you have to make the answer, the decision, because at the end of the day, it's not my decision to make. The client is the client, right? So I kind of do that with all my problem solving in life. I veg out and complain about what I have to complain about. Then we have our come to Jesus moment, settle down. Here are my options. Here's my preferred choice. We are not going to um, 
debate for the sake of debate. We're going to have an honest conversation about the various options, but I'm not going to do the paralysis by analysis and overthink something. We're doing the best decision and I move forward with one integrity, but also I'm very, very um, deliberate in how I do things. And so um, I, there is an intention with how I do things and people know because um, I've thought it through and I'm happy to explain it, but this is what we can do and this is what we can control. Stop worrying about stuff that you have no control over. Well, and I assume there's, there's a large number of clients <laughs> that come in with a lot of emotional expectation that are simply yeah, and they don't, they don't want to hear me say this, stop worrying about that. So um, I, I've had bad conversations, right? Again, the experiential learning, a good thing, you know, what clients after time you can have that heart to heart with pretty bluntly. And then you have the other clients you have to be a little bit more diplomatic with. Um, and that's an art too, that you can't just learn on day one. It's, it's, um, it's developing a bedside manner that comes after handling thousands of, of files. So I, people do appreciate honesty. You know, you hear, I love, I'm not completely into reality TV besides below deck on Bravo. And I also love these real estate shows. So, you know, um, and the real estate shows, they always talk about, well, I can give you the, I can tell you I'll sell the house for the price you want but I don't want to come back to you in three months and say, this is the real price and try to get you to lower your price. Right. And I'm a little bit the same way. Expectations to me are incredibly important because they play into the accountability thing we were talking about before. If, if, if I'm telling you something and then I'm completely in a different direction a month later, I'm not going to be known to you as being someone accountable. So I try to set up very realistic expectations by saying, here are your options, but here's why this is my recommendation again, so people know what they're getting from me. And again, it, it's authenticity. I'm willing to say when we're going to get hammered, when we're going to get punched in the face. I, and I'm willing to say where this is where, where we need to take an educated risk and try this. Um, and at the end of the day, again, it's not my choice. And I've had to do things ethically and legally, but I've had to do things that I would not have done if it was my money. Right. And uh, that's not always that's not always easy to, to handle as well. But it, again, you figure it out the more you do it. Absolutely. Well, and and you ultimately represent the client, and so it yep. it ultimately is the client's choice. It is up Whether to the you client. Agree with it or not. And that's hard, right? That that's a hard thing, uh, especially when you think you know you're successful in which at what you do. Um, they have people to answer to as well, and so um, you don't want to get in the habit of, of CYA where you're doing things or documenting things just because you think you have to paper a file. Um, when I have a, a disagreement with a client, I make it very clear. Ultimately it's their choice, but you're going to hear out why I think that's the wrong choice and then hear me out, take a breath. And if you still want to go the way you want to go, that's what we'll do. And once you decide that it's on me to completely buy into that path, because again, going to authenticity, if I'm in front of a judge and I'm making not the argument I wanted to make, but the argument half-heartedly that someone else wanted to make, they can see through that too. And I'm not advocating for my client like I'm supposed to be. And and then you're committing fraud. Committing malpractice, right? Attorneys Nothing. have a an actual legal standard that we have to meet. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Let's go on a lighter note. What's your most memorable date with your wife? Oh, can I give two answers here? Sure. 
All right. So the funny one is like the most, uh, the first time we, we did not like each other. We met each other in high school. We did not like each other. And some friends forced us to get together. And the first time we ever went on a date, she beat me playing Monopoly. And I was completely devastated for like weeks and it, it slowed down the relationship. But I think the most memorable in a good way is, um, I went to I went to law school in New York City in my first year I lived in Brooklyn which was great for me because it's where my family's from it was nice to go back um, I vividly remember my first year of law school and this is 20 years ago um, it was my wife came to visit me she was my girlfriend at the time it was Halloween and it was one of these crazy 75 degree Halloween awesome day and I just remember walking through Park Slope Brooklyn and it felt like the most perfect thing in the world. And frankly, parts of that evening um, are in the book because the book, there's as much as me in there as, as my grandfather's story. And so that is a, a day, you know, I remember the restaurant we were at, the food we were at, the stores we were walking by, which probably don't exist anymore because it's 20 years later and New York moves a little quicker than that. But that's, uh, it was just a special, special night. Nice. All right. In your business and personal development, how, how important is play and fun? <laughs> um, I think it's important. It's becoming harder to do. Um, clients in the line of work I do, which is a lot of insurance litigation, are not, um, you know, Hartford, I live in the greater Hartford area, it was the insurance capital of the world. And we still have big insurance companies, but not as many as we did 50 years ago. So it is harder, particularly post-COVID, to get to see people. Um, what I try to do is, uh, you know, if there's an excuse, I, I have clients in Nebraska. Um, if UConn makes the College World Series, we're going to go have fun uh, hosting them in Nebraska. Um, if I can get them to events like that or, uh, you know, the Travelers Championship, which is the big PGA Tour event in Connecticut, can usually get them out to do things like that. Um, but it is, it's admittedly becoming harder and harder to do because we're just not as physically close to our clients as we used to be. Got to figure out some options. I I completely agree. And I'm, I'm happy to take any recommendations. Um, Maybe you need to expand beyond UConn. That's, that's tough for me to do. There's only so much hours in the day. But no, you know, I think a lot more of it, Rob, is is more of the conversations that you're having. Again, I, I do find it's important to get to know people beyond the surface level. And so those phone calls are really important. Um, one of the good things about Zoom is you got away from emails and you got away from telephone calls. And we had some real you could it, it, you get something a little bit more from people when you can see their face and their reactions to things. So I've got a pretty dry sense of humor. And again, some clients don't like that, but many do. Um, and so we do things like that. But for me, for I guess from a professional perspective, it is important for me to try to see people that I work with or used to work with and maintain those relationships. It's incredibly important for me to continue to see people, you know, my buddies from law school who are now all over the country. Um, there is some marketing aspect to that because we we have some overlaps in business, but it's just the relationships that you want to keep going. And so um, there's nothing to me better than going out and having a big steak dinner for four hours. I, you know, I love that type of thing. Um, definitely, you know, I need to get more of those on the date on the calendar with clients for sure, though. I like it. All right. So what do you love to do in your free time besides chase your kids' soccer field games? 
besides the kids and besides UConn, uh, the, the occasional golfing thing, again, um, it can, you know, it can be boring sometimes. We have a, we have a big a pool club in our town. We have a few of them, you know, just hanging out with friends around there. Um, the boring answer, I guess, but the true one is my wife and I, you know, she is my best friend. So we love going out to good restaurants down on, you know, I'm blessed Connecticut. We're right on the ocean, right? So going out and having lobster rolls or seafood, we love going to different breweries and wineries in the area and restaurants. So that's where we have a lot of fun is doing things like that. Um, which now that my kids are getting older and they're eating oysters and things like that, it, dinners are becoming a little bit more expensive than they used to be. Um, but you know, definitely like wine drinking. Uh, I think we, New England's kind of the Napa Valley of, of, uh, American IPAs right now. So we're pretty spoiled in that way. And then just hanging, I have two golden retrievers hanging out with my dogs for sure. So my wife and I did a, a six state tour of, <laughs> that's awesome new england area in in the middle of COVID, our cruise got canceled our other trip got canceled we tried another trip and i said all right where can we go with with the same plane tickets that that they keep pushing off and so we flew into into new hampshire and drove down to boston and then drove down to rhode island and toured the mansions and then crossed to connecticut and my wife's favorite moment of all of those was the essex dinner train awesome so, area if you and your wife haven't done the Essex dinner train, I highly recommend it. It's just we've a, done a it, and not train. only have we done it in the winter, that's a Santa Claus going to the North Pole train. So I've done that. There um, you go. Nice. It's 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 great that you could do that. Um, one of the things I do get when I visit clients, particularly clients in the Midwest or the South, everything is so spread out down there. Right. Whereas in New England, I can, as you just said, in a day it would be a, a long drive, but in a day you can be in every state in new England in like four or five hours driving to all the States and see great ski mountains. You could have the ocean, you have beaches, you have some small, you know, new England cities are not as, it's, it's not as big as I guess Boston is, but you know, you're not in New York, but you're an hour and a half from New York where we live. We've got some access to great things up here that uh, I try to get governor to Lamont to continue for our tourism budget to keep promoting <laughs> that. Cause I think it is a great area to live for sure. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did from the from the train. We went back up to to Vermont, across New Hampshire, and down the coast of Maine, <laughs> all the way up to That's Canada. Cool. They wouldn't let us in, but we went right by there. So it was just a crazy six well, days. Six. You should try tour. it again. You, we, my family has a house in the Adirondack Mountains in upstate New York, um, which I guess that's another area. I love being out on the boat on the water there. But nice. Montreal is about two and a half hours north of there, so. Definitely get up to Montreal and Quebec if you can. Those are really great well, this, cities. This was this was COVID border closed. We're just oh, yeah. curtain the edges. <laughs> well, Minister Trudeau is pretty tough about the COVID stuff for sure. Man, I'll tell you, some of the some of the rules were just wackadoo. Like, like, like I had a friend that his daughter was going to school in Canada, and if they flew into Canada, they had quarantine for two weeks and take tests on both sides, and and they they could fly into New York and drive across the border and not do any of that. Like, okay, well, there's a there's a there's a rule that's absolutely meaningless, except for we're enforcing it if you fly. We're not enforcing it if you drive. Like, okay, that's ridiculous. Well, I, and I'm all <laughs> in favor for being safe. Um, 
I agree. Get extremes both ways. Just want consistency. My, my favorite rule is being on a plane, and and I think it's changed now. But when you had to wear a mask, unless you were eating and drinking, and it's like, well, my wife doesn't even eat peanuts, but she sat there with the peanut package open, pretending so yeah. she didn't have to put her mask on. Absolutely. Well, I'm oh, sure so COVID st- stayed away during that six to eight minutes. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you know, I, and I don't think we're ever going back to that. So I think part of our world is going to be adapting and figuring out. You know, certainly not ostracizing people that want to be safer than others, but um, trying to make sure we as businesses, right, because businesses took it on the chin. Absolutely. Um, even, with, even with government help, get businesses took it on the chin for sure. So uh, hopefully we don't go all the way back again. All right, Matt, what's the big dream? You know, I, I the big dream, um, certainly professionally, I, at some point in my career, I, I'd like to go into public service. Um, I think we live in a really interesting time. Um, I think we need more people that are hardworking, incredible. And although it's not the most um, financial savvy thing to do to transition into the public life, I do think when you when you talked about um, guardrails in my life professionally, I, I think we need some more people to go into public service just to make sure, uh, you know, I'm an attorney. I live and breathe by the Constitution and the rule of law. And I think um, it's easy to expect other people to run for office or to become judges or to run for, you know, mayors of towns or town council. At some point, it's just like writing a book during COVID. It's easy to say, the reasons why you can't do something, but, and thank you for your service, right? You know, better than anyone at some point, people have to step up and do it themselves. And so my dream would be at some point to go into public um, service for sure. Good for you. All right. You spent the last hour sharing with a young lawyer going to be starting his own business and, and you want to leave him with Matt's words of wisdom. What would you share? I'll finish kind of the way I started. Um, Whatever you do in life, work hard and be good to people because my um my personal experience and the people that i've that i respect right I, there's a lot of successful people that i just respect what they've done but the people that have done it the right way and have done it with integrity and have have done things for themselves but in a way where they helped others and certainly didn't put others down um it's very easy to help others along the way so work hard but be really good to people Absolutely. Matt, you thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate all the wisdom that you shared. Appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for the opportunity, Robert. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode, Camille Diaz and Robert talk about the challenges of business, partnerships, leases, and even lawsuits. And yet she perseveres and chooses entrepreneurship, the value of learning from experience and growing something with an even bigger impact. Today, she talks about money and teaches about money. We both agree more people need to start talking about money.